Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. Many of us, somewhere along the way, have worked for command and conquer type leaders, the ones who everyone fears as they stand on the mountaintop barking orders. It's pretty darn tough to build a strong culture inside of these environments. And my guest today happens to agree. She's here to tell her story of transformation inside of the manufacturing organization she recently led as they went from a command and conquer operation to an employee-focused operation and all the way to an employee-owned operation. Let me introduce her. Ashley Walters is the author of Leading with Grit and Grace, a journey of organizational culture change. She regularly shares her story with other leaders, encouraging them to make things better by improving processes, creating a people-centric organizational culture, and preparing business succession plans for a bright future. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. I'm happy to be here today. Well, Ashley, I think your journey to becoming a manufacturing leader over the past decade or so is particularly inspiring. I'd love for you to just share some of that with our audience. Yeah, sounds great. So I began my leadership journey about 10 years ago. In 2003, my father-in-law gave me a call. I was a stay-at-home mom at the time, had worked in the family business prior to being a stay-at-home mom, but he called and he said our CFO had left the company and he just wanted me to generally lead the company. My background is in engineering, not in business management. So definitely a daunting task to take on. And so my husband and I, we thought about it and we talked about it and we said, okay, now's not exactly the right time, right? For this opportunity, this opportunity is supposed to come five years from now, uh, not while the kids are so little. But I always encourage people to say yes to those opportunities. As long as they align with your values, say yes to them because you just never know what's going to happen. So I said yes, and I took that road less traveled and began the turnaround of the family business. And uh, here we are nine years later, and the family business is now 100% employee-owned and thriving in its community. Been a part of that community for more than 55 years now, and just so proud of the team and the accomplishments that we made over that, you know, that time span. Well, congrats! It's inspiring to hear, and it's it's really cool to you know I've heard a little bit more of your story and and how that's played out, and I know we're going to get into bits and pieces of that in, in the conversation today. But I, I know that one of the things that you're a big believer in, and I am as well, is that you know, there's a big difference between a command and control leadership style and a coaching-based leadership style, and that you fall into the latter camp. And I'd love to just have you dive into that and you know, feel free to talk about how that's applied in, in your own journey as a business leader. Yeah, absolutely. So the previous manager at Onyx was a command and control leadership style. However, my father-in-law was what I would call more of a uh, people-centric family values type of leader, right? Where everybody kind of had a voice in the business. And what really happened is my father-in-law, you know, he was wanting to retire. He was wanting to leave new 
like not new managers, but managers in place, leaders in place that hadn't, you know, necessarily led before. And he also felt like we needed processes and systems within the business to really, for him to feel comfortable stepping away. So he put this leader in place. And what we didn't realize, and a lot of times you don't until you reflect upon something, right, is what went wrong. And when we think back about what went wrong, it was really that leadership style, that change in leadership. Yes, we needed processes and systems, but we didn't need a command and control leader. That was just kind of a shock to our organizational culture, and they just didn't thrive and under it. So when I came aboard, there was a lot of fear. People were siloed. He had berated people, you know, so we had to get back to that coaching style is what I call it, a more democratic style, where we're really asking people closest to the work, what frustrates them, what's taking up most of their time, and help them like remove those obstacles and solve those problems. And as we did that, as we started that, we started to see the organization change. It became more fun, right? Because solving problems is really fun, right? Meeting your goals is fun. It's exciting. And so we celebrated those small successes along the way and just really built on that momentum. So for me, a coaching leadership style is really just about a lot rooted in being a servant leader. And I know that flips the thought upside down, right? Employees are supposed to serve their leaders maybe how we've been taught. But I really think it's the other way around. If you as a leader can serve those that are following you, it just is so much better. They're empowered. They're engaged. You have a more agile workforce. So being a leader wasn't like natural to me. I'm definitely in my previous life, an individual contributor, you know, as an engineer. I really liked the like the design and the process of things and worked on teams, but never really led teams. So I really had to learn how to lead. And that coaching leadership style just was a natural style for me. Yeah, I love it. I'm I'm a believer in the same. And it's it's hard as you and I were talking about this a little bit before we hit record, but sometimes to let go and trust that you know you have people in place who are not only competent but experts. And you sometimes have that inclination to just want to have your hands in everything and overseeing everything, but you can't for so many reasons. I mean, you can't a, your time is limited, right? And B, when people don't feel like they have ownership over things, like they're never going to be their best selves and be able to perform and grow. And it creates that culture of, of fear, like you talked about, where like, if I do something wrong, or, you know, I'm not following directions perfectly, I'm going to be, you know, I'll be punished for it, or, or at least yeah. won't be rewarded. So... I know what that's like to be in that situation and to have to let go and and to play that role of coach and mentor as opposed to the, be the one whose hands are in everything. Yeah. So what I found really interesting is you have to have like psychological safety, like which you just alluded to, right? So there's not a fear of making a mistake because you can't tell people to be creative and then not accept failures because most experiments are failures, right? But you just have to learn from them and move on. But one of my favorite examples for people when they're trying to like think about letting go and not writing that roadmap for somebody on the way to a goal creation is peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, right? And I understand there's instances where you absolutely have to follow the instructions as they are written. But a lot of times there's instances where there's room to be able to say, okay, here's where I am and here's the goal, right? So in this instance, let's just assume that our goal is making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. 
And a lot of times I'll ask the audience, like who puts peanut butter on one slice of bread and jelly on the other? And I'll get, you know, like a third of the audience. And then I'll say, well, who puts peanut butter and jelly on the same slice of bread and nothing on the other one, right? And then who puts peanut butter on both slices of bread and jelly in the middle? And it's just interesting because everybody makes the peanut butter and jelly sandwich like a different way, right? But at the end of the day, I, as the leader, still get my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Do I care how they did it? No, I don't. I just care about the outcome. So just a simple illustration on how people's history and perspective plays into their decision-making and how they get to a goal and what feels natural for them. That's that's a great analogy. I, I really like that. And for the record, I'd put peanut butter on one side, jelly on the other. And I put peanut butter and jelly on the same slice. <laughs> there it is, right? So Ashley, I'm I'm just thinking like, I can't imagine how overwhelming it must have been stepping in at Onyx back in 2013, I think it was. Does that sound right? Yeah, 2013. Yes. Sorry. Okay. And and just starting that process of changing culture and also having, you know, challenges to turn the business around financially at the same time. There's just so much to do like how did you figure out where to start when it's there's that much going on and then also you know what role does continuous improvement play and just you know being able to bite off a piece at a time so i'm going to admit to probably one of my epic failures as a leader there are so many like good ideas right and things that you need to work on in the business but you can't work on all of them at one time because everybody is so task oriented in their in their day to day, right? You have to really focus and pick one thing. And it took me probably five years to figure that out. It was in 2018 when I did the wildly important goal. And I said, okay, stop with all the different projects that we're only getting half done, right? We're not even accomplishing our goals. So we focused on one thing and that just settled the organization down. It allowed us to be able to make better decisions because we could say, we're on this path. This is our goal. Does this decision help us get there or not? Does this project help us get there or not? And so we were, we got to be okay saying no, right? We, we could be more focused in our yeses. So that really helped. Continuous improvement and lean manufacturing and all, you know, the Toyota way, those are just incredible tools to help start conversations. So I use value stream mapping as one of the very first tools to start the conversation between people. So remember, we were all siloed. Our opinion didn't matter, you know, and now I'm bringing everybody to the table and we're walking through a process with different teams and really talking about the process and where we're getting jammed up and how we could overcome this hurdle. And if we change that, how does that make it better or worse for somebody else in the process? And those conversations were just incredible to get us working together as a team. And then, you know, we moved from that on into Kata. Now we have people have been told what to do for the last 10 years. And now we're telling them, now you make decisions and you solve the problems. But sometimes they don't remember how to be a problem solver, right? Sometimes we have to teach problem solving skills. So Kato is an incredible way to get people to understand like experimentation and how to solve problems and how to learn from the experiments and how to set up the next experiment. And that really, I call that freedom to fail. So we have freedom to fail. It is okay when an experiment doesn't go the way we planned. I just always say you can't make the same mistake 
twice, right? We've got to learn from it and move forward. Also talk about like failing fast. You know, as leaders, we set out on a path and sometimes we can really dig our heels in and say, this is the path we're taking, even though we know that something has changed or it's not going the way that we thought it should. So it's okay to say, eat that humble pie and say, all right, well, that didn't work and move on, fail fast and try again. So that just became really our organizational culture was about, you know, pursuing perfection, understanding that we would never attain perfection, but just always trying to make things better. And the mission of the company is to make things better, but we don't mean it just internally. We mean it when we go to serve a client, we want to help them make their processes better and we want to make our communities better. So we went from not making anything better, right, together as a team to really like making sure it was even external to our company. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the first things you were hitting on there, just having a very clear focus is just so important. And I bring this up, I feel like every five episodes in some capacity, but like we run EOS at our company, the entrepreneurial operating system. Some of our clients do a lot of manufacturing organizations do, and whether it's that or something else, I think having a structure for staying focused and figuring out what are we going to collectively work on as an organization, those sort of big, hairy things, those big problems, the objectives we're trying to get to and having everybody kind of rowing in the same direction. And annually, we will identify what the biggest issues that are facing our company or the biggest goals we have. We'll get it all down in writing and say, okay, these are the three or five biggest things we need to accomplish as a company this year. And that fall outside of the, just the daily operations and the daily grind. And then every quarter, it's like, what what are the, as EOS calls them, rocks? Or what are the, the three-month projects that we're going to tackle? There might be five of them in total across the company that are going to get us on the path to achieving that annual goal. And so you're biting things off a piece at a time. And every week, you know, you, you need to stand up and say, where you're, are, are you on track with your rock? And it's amazing. We've been doing this for about two years, just how it's kept us focused on the big things and really help you, it helps you move the needle where it really matters as opposed to just, otherwise you feel like there's just a million things you need to do and nothing gets the attention it really needs. And you find yourself not wanting to work on things that are your weaknesses, right? That's the other piece of it is I like to have people work on things that they're strong in. The weakness will always end up at the bottom of the to-do list. You just don't want to work on it. But if I let you work on your strength, then you'll really shine and excel. Okay, let's take a quick break here. I want to let a couple of our strategists at Gorilla76 tell you about something pretty cool that we're doing right now for marketing folks in the manufacturing sector. Peyton and Mary, take it away. Yes. So I'm Peyton Warren. And I'm Mary Keough. Twice a month, we host a live event called Industrial Marketing Live. Right now, we have a group of 50 plus industrial marketers from a variety of manufacturing organizations. We meet up digitally to learn, ask questions, network, and get smarter. Every session has a designated topic. And one of our team members at Gorilla76 opens up by teaching for the first half hour or so. Topics have included how to get better at a manufacturing webinar, getting started with paid social on LinkedIn, how to optimize your website for conversions, creating amazing video content, and so much more. After we break it down, we open it up to Q&A so we can help you apply all of this in your own businesses. This is pure value, no cost, 
no strings attached, no product or service pitches, just a 100% unadulterated learning experience. Oh, and on top of these live sessions, we've also opened up a Slack channel where our attendees bounce ideas off each other and learn together all week long between sessions. We're building a true community of manufacturing marketing professionals here. So if you or someone at your company has the word marketing in his or her job title, please consider telling them about it. They can visit industrialmarketinglive.com to register. We'd love to see you there. Ashley, let's come around back around to the people topic here. You told me that you're not a big fan of performance reviews, which is, is interesting. And I, I, I would guess not all leaders will say that. And I'm just kind of curious, where do you focus instead? Or tell us a little bit more about your, your perspective on that. Yeah. So with the performance reviews, I think it was the, maybe the end of 2018 or so. And I was like, why do we do these? I mean, it's so rear view looking. We're digging up things sometimes that people did in the past just to kind of open wounds again. Maybe we're talking about what they did well, you know, the whole sandwich, like the bad thing between the two good things. And I just kind of calculated what the ROI was, the cost to the company and whether we were even getting a return on this. And it was incredible the time that was spent with personnel doing their self-reviews, managers doing the review of the personnel, them sitting together, and then just the wasted kind of headspace, waiting to hear what your manager had to say and the wait afterwards being upset. So for instance, we had a scale of one to five. And I am like, most people are three, like you're doing your job. It's a good thing, right? Well, some managers would rate fives. And no matter how much training we did, it would be five would be excellent, but this person would be driving everybody else in the organization body. Like we wouldn't have given her a five, you know? And so there was just a bias in the rating system. Nobody really enjoys rating people. People don't enjoy being rated, right? You don't want a number assigned to you. And so it was just all this like chaos. And I thought, to what end? Why? Why are we doing this? I stopped with the performance reviews and their entirety we went to a coach approach. So we started out 2020 teaching leaders how to be coaches. And unfortunately, it became the hardest thing you could do in 2020 when you were in person, right? But when we took that approach and we just started solving problems like in the minute, instead of writing them and sticking them in the file to bring up later at the performance review, we just became so much better. It just was easier, you know, across the organization. Now, I understand a lot of organizations can't get rid of their performance reviews for many reasons, but you might just want to think about what you're truly measuring in those reviews and what's really important. I'll also say some people tie those performance reviews to like merit raises. We didn't. We never tied a performance review to a race. So for us, what's most effective in that arena, because a lot of people ask is we just do a profit sharing across the company. You know, it's a, a flat percentage across the company. And we just figure if everybody's doing their job and the company's successful, then we all can share in those profits together. I think it's interesting that you took the team at Onyx through a transition to being 100% employee owned. What led you to make that decision? And tell us about the impact it's had on the trajectory of the business. Yeah, absolutely. So Drew and I are second generation owners. His father owned the business prior to us. And if you know anything about family-owned businesses, the statistic says that they're only 
13% successful in the third generation and 3% successful in the fourth generation. So being the engineers that we are, we thought, hmm, the odds are kind of against us, right? Even though we have two children and we don't know what they'll want to do in their lives. So when we purchased the business, we knew we wanted to be very thoughtful about one day having to exit the business. I mean, it's just, it's going to be something that life throws your way at some point, right? And so we just wanted to be thoughtful about it because it was hard to make that transition from first to second generation. There wasn't just a really good, clear path for us as a family. And so I was sitting on a succession planning panel in 2019, and I was there as, you know, the second generation owner. But the keynote speaker was Kevin McPhillips from the Pennsylvania Center of Employee Ownership. And he did the keynote. And it was just incredible to hear the stories of these employee-owned companies and how they had grown and the difference they were making in their communities. And so I caught Kevin at lunch and I just said, hey, what does a company have to look like in order to consider becoming an ESOP as a transition? You know, we talked briefly about Onyx and he said, Ashley, if you're not there yet, you're really close. And so we had a high-level feasibility study done. We loved the model because it was giving back to the people who were doing the work, right? It was making them the owners. And they already really kind of had an ownership mindset, right? We've already started that continuous improvement. They were engaged in making the business better. And so it was just a really natural transition for us to turn the company into an ESOP. I can share with you a year and a half after we made the transition, their value uh, and their stock went up 325% when the stock market, you know, I think the S&P went up 20%. So that's just an incredible testament to how little incremental changes can make a huge difference and how when everybody is bought in to the dream, they can really make it happen. Oh, that's, that's really cool to hear. I imagine that there are, are businesses where it would work well and others that it don't. And I feel like some of the things we've talked about today, had you not gone through some of the organizational transformation in the time that you you led the company, it, you could be setting somebody up to, to really fail. But it's pretty cool that you got the business in a position where that was an option and, and to see what's happened since. Yeah, very good point. And ESOP was not an option for us in 2013. It wasn't an option at all. And I will say there's many, many ways to transition a business and it's not going to be an option that all people choose. And that's okay too. You make those choices as a business owner based on what you and your family need. But for us, it was a, it was a great option. Let's talk about you here for a second and where you're, you're headed currently. I know you just sort of recently have made this transition out as, uh, as president. And so tell us about what's next for you and where you're headed. Now I am sitting on five boards of privately held companies, some of which are ESOP, some of which are just privately held all across the nation. So what I have found is that every business has the same struggles, whether we're in manufacturing or whether we're in marketing, the struggles can be the same just running a business. So I really enjoy being a part of those boards and helping those leaders and just sharing my experiences with them, but also being exposed to, to things that I didn't know anything about. So it's a good learning experience for me as well. I'm also getting to, you know, be involved in different events and conferences as a speaker or a storyteller, just getting to share our, our story. And I'm always amazed at what resonates with people when I share the story. And I just love when people come and tell me, you know, oh my gosh, that happened to me too. 
or I'm stuck in this situation. Now I have a way that maybe I can work my way out of it, or I have the inspiration to know that I can get to the other side. So it's just heartwarming to meet all these people across the country and across the world, really, and know that we experience life similarly. And so then I am also getting to work with the University of Tennessee and their manufacturing extension partnership here in Tennessee. My family and I just recently moved back to my home state of Tennessee. So I'm really excited to get engaged with those manufacturers in our local area and see what positive differences I can make here in this community. Well, congrats. I imagine it's pretty fulfilling to be able to, you know, just kind of take everything you've experienced as a, a business leader and now be able to consult or help others who are going through the same things and make a difference in so many places. So it's pretty cool to see. Yeah. Thanks. A ripple effect, right? Sure. Is there anything I didn't ask you about, Ashley, that you'd like to add to the conversation today before we wrap it up? No, just... You know, if I could leave you with one piece of advice, the best piece of advice I'd ever received was from my dad. And he said, go to the place where the work is being done. The people doing the work have the solutions to the problem you're trying to solve. Just ask them. Simple concept, but very powerful. Yeah. Well, Ashley, great conversation today. Can you tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on LinkedIn and you can also visit ashleywalters.co. And I've got some leadership exercises out there for you guys, whether it's personal or for your team. And then if you want to just shoot me an email, that's hello at ashleywalters.co. And I'd love to hear from everybody. Perfect. Well, Ashley, thanks a ton for doing this today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Joe. You bet. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.